in your heart Share what you feel No matter the subject You can always be real Talk with JC Michelle. Hard talk with JC Michelle. Hard talk with JC Michelle. Hard talk with JC Hey, welcome to another episode of Heart Talk with Tracy Michelle. This is Tracy Michelle Lewis Jiggets. Um, and listen. I am so excited because this episode is one of those special episodes that I told you about. So, yes, we're doing the call-in, and I'm loving all the feedback I'm getting on that. It's wonderful, and I get to talk and all that good stuff. But with our guest episodes, I'm actually talking to folks about joy and their work and how it shows up and how it shows up in their lives. And this, 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 this. I am incredibly excited about this conversation in particular. Um, Disha Filial is just one of those people that, you know, I would say over the last five to seven years that has just been doing some amazing, exciting work. Um, you know, guys, I love, I'm a storyteller. <laughs> I love stories. I love books. And so her book, The Secret Lives of Church Ladies, really just shook me for lack of better words because I think I'd been thinking about it and I actually have been writing about myself the ways in which good bad and ugly the church had informed who I am as a, as a woman as a sexual being you know um and also kind of unpacking that and the way she does that with story is just so freaking amazing so um I'm ex I was excited to talk to her um, that we recorded this actually earlier this year. And so I am excited to finally get a chance to share it with you. If you don't know who Disha is, which I don't know how that's possible, but um, Disha Filial's debut short story collection, The Secret Lives of Church Ladies, won the 2021 Penn Faulkner Award for Fiction, the 2020-21 Story Prize, the 2020 LA Times Book Prize, the Art Seidenbaum Award for First Fiction and was a finalist for the 2020 National Book Award for Fiction. Sis has been doing it. <laughs> um, the Secret Lives of Church Ladies focuses on Black women, sex, and the Black church and is being adapted for television by HBO Max with Tessa Thompson executive producing. Disha is also a Cambilio Fiction Fellow and will be the 2022-2023 John and Renee Grisham Writer-in-Residence at the University of Mississippi. She's amazing and was so down to earth and such a joy to talk to. So I'm going to stop talking and let's get into this conversation. Hey, Disha. Hey, Tracy. <laughs> How are you? I am well. How are you? I'm good. I'm here. Like Miss Seely said, I'm here. <laughs> I know that's right. I know that's right. Well, first, let me just say um, thank you so, so much for being here um, at Hard Talk. Um, this season, I am focusing on joy and Black joy, of yes. course. <laughs> so um, I'm so appreciative of you and your work. Uh, and, you know, I just said this to you before 
you know, we came on like who you are to other writers. Um, like you're brilliant, like bottom Thank line, you. <laughs> you're brilliant as a writer, like first and foremost, let's just get that out the way. But you are an amazing supporter of writers. And I think all by itself, that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, so thank you for that. Um, those of you who don't know, she she blurred Black Joy. <laughs> so, Happily, um, <laughs> enthusiastically, proudly. So, yeah, I mean, like, and I, uh, I am so very grateful. So I like to open up these conversations on Joy and Black Joy in particular um, with this question, which is okay. simple, but maybe not easy. Um, what is Joy? to you? Like, what does it feel like in your body? How do you locate it? What is joy? I equate joy with laughter, mm. you know, just sort of this effusive sort of bubbling over laughter. Mm -hmm. um, and that can happen in the midst of something that's really wonderful. It can also happen in the midst of things that aren't so wonderful. So mm -hmm. I remember when my mother was in hospice, um, it was a time of sadness, but also a time of joy because my mother was hilarious in hospice. <laughs> so, you know, um, and I, and, and she just, she showed me that um, she had this dry wit um, and had made peace, you know, with the fact that she was dying and um, said what ever she wanted to say <laughs> it, was, gonna do. <laughs> it was just funny and so you know in hospice we laughed as much as we cried if not more you know and so she really gave me a blueprint for joy in, in that time that joy is not just something that we can experience um when everything is right mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. so it's so beautiful um, I, I write a lot about how, you know, especially for black folks, we hold that tension of both sorrow or grief and joy in that same space. I mean, yes. I'm reminded of like, if you go to somebody's, you know, home going yes. and, and, you know, and there's a lot of sorrow, people trying to jump into the grave, you know, the whole <laughs> nine, but then you go to the repast and people are cracking jokes and telling good stories yes. and singing. And so we, I think as a people have always known how to hold both. That's um, right. We understand That's that joy right. is our birthright, but because our circumstances, this, this situation, historical situation we find ourselves in, right. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Does not always at least allow for happy moments, but we know how to like dig deep. And so the story right. of you, you and your mom like reminds me of that. That is so wonderful. So, you know, the flip side of that is like, what do you think are some of the things that impede your, mm -hmm. our ability, particularly as black women to experience the fullness of joy? You know, since I wrote the book, a lot of people will say, I don't really know. Like, I, I, I know, like, like you said, I laugh, I've had joyful moments, but I don't think I've thought that deeply about like why I can't access joy in any particular mm -hmm. moment. So I'm just curious, you know, with you, yeah. what impedes it? I mean, you know, some of us are still unlearning some of the things we were taught and the ways we were raised. And I don't, I'm trying to think if I know anyone who has ever articulated um, you know, I was raised to be joyful. Mm -hmm. I was raised to seek my pleasure. 
I was raised to prioritize myself and my my pleasure and my my joy, especially as black women. I don't I don't know a black woman who says that's how I was raised. Now I know black women who are there now who have you know um, created and curated that kind of life for themselves. Um, so I think it starts with how we were raised and were we taught that this is what we deserve? Have, were we taught that this is a goal? You know, mm -hmm. um, I was taught that the goal was, you know, to be, um, you know, to not have, to not worry about money, you know, to be, to have that kind of financial stability, mm -hmm. that that's what I was always working towards. Um, but once I got that and got the husband and the house and the kids and didn't have joy, I'm like, wait a minute, <laughs> you know, something's missing the, the assumption you know we had we must have been making the uh, it was so much was unspoken mm -hmm. um so because we weren't talking about joy but I think it you know we don't it's not encouraged and then we the as a result of it not being encouraged and us not having necessarily models for it that are accessible which is why it's so important for books like yours and for important for conversations like this for so that other black girls can say, I, I, I did grow up hearing people talk about joy, hearing black women talk about joy as our birthright, as something we deserve, as something that is a worthy pursuit. Um, so if we can't, if no one's given us permission or encouraged it, if we haven't seen it, then it becomes an act of daring, an act of courage mm -hmm. to pursue joy. And, you know, I'm not the most courageous person in the world, you know, courage. So then you got to cultivate the courage to pursue the joy. It's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. And, and especially when the cultural messages are the opposite, that we are supposed to aspire to servitude and long suffering and sacrifice and taking care of everybody else and their needs, um, before our own, and then even sacrificing ourselves and our, our selfhood and our desires for the greater good or for Black men in particular. Um, that's a lot to overcome. So I think most of us just say, you know, I, you know, just <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> you know, I'm just, I'm yeah. doing the best that I can, but joy feels like an indulgence and it shouldn't be. Mm. You know what I hear what I hear you saying is like we and I think this aligns even with my experience that um we've been taught to survive. Yes. Like survival has been the priority, right? Mm -hmm. Whether that's like financial um you know success, you know, um so we see black women getting degrees and go you know getting the upper mm -hmm. echelons of wherever, you know, our career paths are taking us or you know the idea of getting married and having children yes. being this, this defining thing. Um, mm -hmm. But like you said, like not pleasure, not pursuit of your dreams, not um, those all things all become secondary or even tertiary, <laughs> like they're on the mm -hmm. outskirts of anything. Um, and it's interesting, I'll push back on you not being courageous though, because I've heard your story about leaving the job. I've learned your story like of pursuing this thing that you're now so well known of. So that's a courageous act. It almost felt like, yes, like I think we all get to that point where we're like, you know, I'm doing all the things I've been taught to do. Yes. And I've, yes. I've mastered it even to a certain extent mm -hmm. and something is missing. Yes. And so where is the pivot? Are we pivoting and you pivot? Mm -hmm. 
And that's a courageous act because you weren't raised with that. And I do hope that my daughter, our daughters, you know, in the future have a, there's, it's normalized, right? That joy and pleasure, like that, that's up there with my financial success, you know, my mental health, my wellness. Those are just things that are common. Like, of course I would take Mm -hmm. care of that. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm hoping that that's what we are teaching. Um, That actually brings me, that's a very good segue to the secret lives of (laughs) church ladies. Because what you do in that book is essentially what you're talking about. You're unpacking and like, and exploring all of those hidden desires, the push, the, the complexities, the nuances. And for me in particular, in my work, I love that you're doing that with black women who identify as people of faith or church women, right? Mm-hmm. Even the, just those of us who grew up in the church environment, right? And mm-hmm. so you do that so brilliantly. Um, I'm here for you, La. Peach Cobbler is my join, right? <laughs> and I know, I, I think I've heard you say like, that's that's like the one people tend to gravitate, I think, yes. toward. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it is the mom, it's the mother, Mama and Olivia, you know, that dynamic yeah. that really people yeah. connect with. Um, mm-hmm. That whole, you know, Pastor Neely ain't God, but he my friend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Like, mm, we know what friend. <laughs> right, we know what that is. And so I'm wondering, as a writer, did you consider when you were writing these stories, maybe not in this language, but in some way, what joy and and it might look like i know you explore pleasure a lot but even like mm-hmm. just joy as a concept for these characters in the midst of like building this story arc right with each one of these yeah. stories like did you think about it consciously or did it just come out of the writing i think it was more organic and subconscious except for the story how to make love to a physicist mm-hmm because I had that crossroads moment of, are they going to be joyful? Is there gonna be a joyful reuniting? Are they gonna end on a joyful note? Um, and there is some, there's you know, some whisperings in the literary world that is elitist and gatekeeping that says serious writing, you know, real literary writing is uh, ambiguous and it's, you know, it's not sentimental and there are no happy endings, you know? Um, and am I allowed to curse on here? Cause I don't, I, yeah, okay. Absolutely. So I, as I'm getting to the end and I'm like, I'm not gonna let them have this joy. And I was like, and hearing that voice, I was like, oh, fuck that. You know, <laughs> they are going to, um, not just get it on because we knew you know I, I built in a deadline that they were going to have sex on pie day it said that in the first paragraph right but would they still you know oh the 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 larger moment would it be joyful and not just a moment of sexual pleasure but something uh, which is great but you know something deeper than that mm-hmm. and I was like yes I am about to give these black people this mm-hmm. and it felt great so I was very conscious of that decision. I love that intentionality too. It, I think had you not made, do you think that you would have, if you weren't aware of that, I'm always thinking about the gaze, right? In our yeah. 
Yeah. Right? And how, like, even in, in writing Black Joy, you know, and these are my personal stories, but like always mm -hmm. conscious of, for me, it was the white gaze. Yes. It was the church gaze. It mm -hmm. was mama gaze. It was yes. gaze. <laughs> like all of these that are influencing what my decision is in terms of how mm -hmm. I put something on the page. And so do, do you think that if you had not been aware of sort of this perception in, in the literary world mm -hmm. that you would have made the same choice? I think my, my heart of hearts wanted to make that choice. Okay. And so that, it just was a momentary pause that I entertained that nonsense. And then I was like, this is not of us, mm. you know, the only gaze on these stories is our gaze. And I just had to remind myself that. Hmm. I love that. I love that so much. Um, I almost feel like while it might not have been conscious for the other stories, like a, a thing that you were like intentional, super intentional about, um, there, there is this idea of these characters across the board reclaiming themselves, but mm -hmm. like reclaiming their joy, you know, yes. reclaiming their pleasure. However, I mean, I'm thinking about you, like, however it shows up, Yes, right? you know, and, and that being 100% okay. Mm -hmm. um, even in this context that says that it's not, or right. that people within that context believe that it's not, and maybe that's a, mm -hmm. a better way to say it. Um, I just love talking to you. <laughs> Likewise. Um, I just love talking to you, to writers, because I, I'm always just curious, curious. I mean, if those of y'all don't know, like nominated national book award you know the whole thing and there's a reason for that not not i mean we can get into literary elitism all that kind of thing but like it's amazing storytelling Thank and you. i and it's in a tradition of black folks being master storytellers being yes. master wielder wielders of the words right um mm -hmm. And one of the movements in Black Joy, there's three movements, resistance, resilience, and restoration, and one of it is resilience. So I'm I'm curious, this moving out of sort of the writing realm back to you, like, are there ways that you, or maybe even like elders in your life that you've observed reinvented the stories as a way to survive and thrive? Like I noticed like, you know, there could be a hard thing that happens in my family, but the story that gets told 30 years later, <laughs> right, kind of transformed this really hard thing. And like, sometimes that's not so great, because it's taking away from the truth of what actually happened. But sometimes it's just like this way of being this how we survived is how we live. And so I'm wondering if like, you've observed that, or do you find yourself doing that also? Yeah, I mean, my mother and my grandmother survived a lot you know, more than anyone should ever, you know, they're more, they were more resilient than anyone should have to be. Mm -hmm. um, and despite that, you know, still didn't get to my knowledge. Um, you know, I always want to say they didn't get to fulfill their dreams, mm -hmm. but what's worse is I'm not sure what they dreamed, you know, because again, they didn't articulate you know, longings and desires and things like that. Um, they both poured into me, um, which is what gave me what I needed to go out into the world. Um, and, uh, and even though they didn't say the words, go out and be daring and be bold, um, 
they loved me so well that, you know, I, I just think that, you know, I had to learn after they were gone, you know, they both died in 2005. Like I couldn't take that for granted anymore to be loved well and cared for. Cause not everybody is whatever their failings, whatever their shortcomings, whatever, you know, I needed from them and didn't get, I got plenty, you know, and I went out into the world well-loved. And I think that made a huge difference. Um, and so, you know, I did see them um, surviving a lot and being resilient. And, um, and, and, you know, my mother would say that I was her greatest achievement, you know, and I had mixed feelings about that because I wanted her to have other achievements, you know. Um, but of course, you know, I benefited from her having that perspective. Um, so I saw that with them. And then in my own life, you know, I survived the things that I didn't get in, in my childhood and adolescence that I needed. You know, my father was not the person that I needed him to be. Um, and so that had, that influenced my um, relationships with men. Um, I've been divorced twice. So I'm resilient in that way. It's two long marriages and relationships, both of them. And, um, you know, and I think that I came out of those relationships certainly with the baggage, you know, that one gets in unhappy marriages, but that that baggage didn't stop me from doing the things I wanted to do. Mm. And so I so when I was writing about women sort of, you know, trying to find their way, trying to get free, I knew something about that, you know, those were not necessarily my stories, but that heart feeling of wanting something, feeling trapped, um, you know, feeling invisible, feeling conflicted, feeling like the choices that are presented to you, none of them fit. You know, I have been there, <laughs> you know, I, I, I've been there. And, um, and so I think that's why it showed up the way, show in the ways that it did in the stories. Yeah, I'm teary-eyed right now because, oh. um, and you's talking about that, I had a moment with my mother um, recently. She came to visit for 10 days, you know, the first time in two and a half years because of the pandemic. Um, mm -hmm. And we decided to do this little like home photo shoot with her and me and my daughter. Oh, I'm going to beat your face to the God. <laughs> you know, yes, like, yes. Up. You know, we're going to do all the things. And so I, you know, I was doing her makeup and, you know, we were picking out hair and, you know, black girl stuff, mm -hmm. you know, and, and doing the whole thing. And, you know, she, I was like, okay, time for the big reveal. Of course, my daughter, who is freer than either of us could ever be, right. is like, I don't know if I like that, that shadow on you, nanny. And I'm like, really? This is what you're going to do? <laughs> like, you know, she free. She say what she feel, you know, but we mm -hmm. went into the mirror and she was like, oh. And she kept saying to me, like, it doesn't even look like me. I mean, like, I, and she, like, in a positive way, like, she was saying it as if, like, who is this in the mirror? Like, I didn't know yeah. I could look like this. And I was, I kept saying, what do you mean? Like, this is who I see. Right. Like, this beautiful, yeah. you know, and we've always had this conversation about like, well, what do you dream, mom? And like, what, do, what mm. do you always think about what you wanted? And how do you see yourself? Not mm -hmm. as my mother, 
because she says a lot of the same things that you just said that your your mother said to you was like you're the most courageous I've ever seen a person or you're so mm -hmm. brave or whatever and I you just touched me because I don't know if I've ever thought about I always felt that there was yes I am more brave than you mom you know I'm going to because I saw what being um not able to take those kinds of risks can do. Yes. Um, I chose, I it was intentional about like doing all the opposite. But yeah. in talking to you now, I'm hearing, no, she gave you something to be able to do that. Like there's mm -hmm. something that she poured into you that maybe she, she couldn't actualize for herself that allows you to even be able to think I can you know, mm -hmm. 300, you know, move to Chicago with $300 in my pocket and somehow make it or, right. you know, be a writer, all these kinds of things. And that blesses me so much because I don't know if I ever, I don't know if I thought about it that way. Um, but then it, you know, of course it reminded me of our conversation and I'm like, I think as little girls, like we see our mothers and we think that they are like that idea of being well-loved, I think goes both mm -hmm. ways. Like we love them despite Absolutely. what maybe they have put, you know, we've gone through with them or yes. what maybe they've allowed to happen to us or whatever. We still see them as mommy is the flyest thing that ever <laughs> walked the earth. You know, I was like, mom, are you kidding me? Like I have literal pictures of you fly as hell. They're you know number I mean? one stunners, <laughs> all of them. <laughs> all of them. And you're telling me you don't see that when you look in the mirror? But I, and I have grace for why that is, right? Mm -hmm. I have grace for the worlds in which they lived in. And I'm totally off my list of questions here. <laughs> but listen, this is what we needed to say. This is what we needed to say. This is what we needed to hear. This exactly. is the moment. <laughs> exactly. Um, okay, now I'm, I'm going to get back on track now. Um, I wrote in Black Joy, choosing joy might mean leaving a place or person that no longer serves you. Uh, I'd love to know in what ways have your pursuit of pleasure and joy led to having to separate or distance yourself from people, places, things mm -hmm. that once meant like everything to you? Like, can you yeah. share something along those lines of when you had to make that decision for yourself and what that was like for you? Sure. Um, I committed a cardinal black girl sin. I took a break from my mother. Mm. I went on hiatus from my mother. What? Because she was so hypercritical. Mm. She was absolutely loving, you know, to like suffocatingly so, and absolutely critical. Mm. And, 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 you know, and, you know, just it really, um, fostered my insecurities, my deep, deep insecurities that I carried with me for so long. And that's the thing about our mothers, that they can be a lot of different things. They are, I wrote somewhere, you know, our mothers are contradictions. Mm -hmm. You know, I love you more than anything. I love you more than life itself, but I'm going to shame you to get you to, you know, um, been to my will on in my mother's case shit that didn't even matter you know right, exactly. um that she but you know the gift that she gave me was that when she was dying and she knew she was dying we talked about it and she said you know 
I wasted a lot of time with me and you on things that didn't even matter. Mm. And I, that's all I ever wanted was for her to get that. But then I was sad because I was like, and she's dying, you know, like now she gets it, but we don't have much time left at that point. Um, but I'm glad she got it. And, and that was a gift that she gave me to be able to acknowledge that, um, you know, before she passed away. But prior to that, um, in the years, my, my growing up years, you know, it was a, a challenge. It was really a challenge to be my mother's daughter. And so I finally like had had it, I was probably 29, 30 when, when I um, cut her off. And um, I said, you know, don't call me, don't email me. Um, I will call you, email you. No, I'm not visiting. No, you can't come to visit. And I don't know how long I'll let you know. Wow. Because I was like, it's me or her. Somebody not going to make it. Yeah. <laughs> I am like, it is not going to be me. I could not, like, I mentally, I couldn't take just the constant criticism mm -hmm. um, from her and just her lack of, you know, when I would try and talk to her about it, she just didn't know what I was talking about too. So it's not like we, you know, I tried, I tried to work through it, but like if the other person doesn't acknowledge that there's any problem, I couldn't do anything with that. And I was like, I just know that I need a break. I don't know what's going to happen on the other side of this. I just know I can't do this anymore. And um, I don't remember how long we went. It was probably some months, probably wow. a few months. And, and then she was diagnosed with breast cancer. And all of a sudden, you know, everything stopped. Right. And it was like, okay. And then I went into fix it mode. You know, mm -hmm. how can I help you stay alive, you know, cause I did not want to lose her. And so from the time of her diagnosis to the time she passed away was like four, less than four years, I think. Um, and, um, and so, you know, I don't know how long that hiatus would have lasted if, if you know, if she happened. hadn't gotten sick. So that was, um, and around this, not long after I took a hiatus from her, um, my, you know, I, left my first marriage and then years, a few years later, not a few, well, I married too soon after, but then um, I was in another long relationship, long marriage, and I left that one. And so both of those times was me choosing joy and choosing myself um, over the institution of marriage and, you know, um, all that comes with, you know, doing what's expected, doing what doesn't rock the boat. Mm -hmm. um, and I knew that if I continued to, in either of those marriages, it, you know, I wasn't going to die literally, but I, my soul was going to die spiritually. Um, and I wanted more in the first marriage, I wanted more for my daughters, but by the second marriage, it was like, no, I want more for myself, mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. know? That, that and also is real. I've been talking a lot about that, like your mom loving you and also the way that she's loving you because she believes yes. the shame and yes. this criticism is a kind of love. Like right. you know, it's not coming from any malicious place, but it's still right. shaming and it's still criticism, right? right? And that and also is a, is a beast. Um, I'm wondering, cause you're a mom. And one of the things I struggle with is all these things that I'd be talking about that my mom shows up in me, rises up Ooh, in me. Come on. 
said, no. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. I said, I won't go do that. But you know, exactly. You know what, little girl? <laughs> you know, and and like this idea of disconnecting from mm-hmm. that, you know, choosing. One of the things I talk about is in choosing joy and leaving the place, it doesn't mean you don't return. Yes. You know, when I left Louisville and I was running and I was trying to find you know, whatever I was trying to find out there, it, it took 20 years, but I came back and I had to make peace mm-hmm. with this place, just the same mm-hmm. way you made peace with your mom, you know, in those four year time period. But yeah, like talk a little bit about like, as a mom, how you are now maybe trying to wrestle with all the things <sighs> you did and like, but they, you know, because of transgenerational stuff that gets passed yes. down, comes up in you. So how do you work through not shaming your daughters or being that critic, you know, critical? Uh, yeah. Voice? So, you know, I better understand now that my, the things that my mother did, you know, either had to do with her own wounds and insecurities um, and, or it was rooted in her desire to protect me because you know, she was looking at my life and my choices through the lens of if she had had these opportunities, what she would have done, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, and, but we lived in completely different worlds as they're in different, different generations and we were different people, you know? And so, um, you know, I, what that caused was that we weren't as close as either of us wanted to be. And so I, there were so many things that I struggled with, so many situations that could have gone left that my mother knew nothing about, nothing. I completely shut her out, Mm. right? (laughs) And so I thought that if I just didn't do this list of things that my mother did, that my children were going to tell me everything (laughs) and that they would come to me no matter what and on and on and on. And, you know, there are things that, you know, now that we've, you know, done a lot of work, you know, in, in our family and I've grown and they've grown, um, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, now they talk to me a lot more, but I had forgotten that part of just becoming an adult is that you keep shit to yourself. That part. <laughs> and so we're, you know, trying to find this line of, you know, I want to respect your privacy and that you are, you know, there's some things, you know, lots of things that, you know, you're going to figure it out for yourself. And here I am like, but I have this wisdom. I have this knowing I've been there, done that, you know, and I'm trying to spare them. And so the realization with an 18 and a 23 year old in these last few years, the realization is like, I can try. Mm -hmm. This is, these are their lives to lead their mistakes to make um what was the saying we grew up with a hard head makes a soft behind (laughs) but you know i have just wanted to protect them so much you know um and but really you know and and the 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 main thing that i'm looking at myself like you said you weren't going to do this my mother had had a problem being able to see me as a separate person from herself and recognizing my agency and the, my freedom, including the freedom to, to mess up, you know? And with us, it wasn't so much that I messed up, I just didn't do things the way she would have done them. Right. And so I have to respect that with my daughters, they're, they, you know, they are their own people. And even though I have, I feel better intentions than my mother had, it's still not my business half the time. And I'm like, 
oh my God, I just got to sit here and watch this. Oh my goodness. As the mother <laughs> you know? of a 10 year old about to be 11 year old, who, as most people who are, who are on my social media know is easily 10 going on 25. I'm not looking forward to 18 and 23. <laughs> I, I mean, first of all, let's just talk about the driving. Oh no. Just <laughs> that you can be out in a car and anything can happen. You know, like anything. these are the kinds of things that I, and, and then I sit here and think, but when I was 19, I got in a car with my then boyfriend in Jacksonville, Florida, and we drove to Connecticut with no cell phones. Listen, if my mother knew how many times that my, <laughs> my, my soror came into my dorm room, you know, when I was, you know, 20 years old and said, yo, you want to go up frats having a party in Florida? We in Kentucky. And we <laughs> was in her 1991 uh, Ford Topaz and drove our little selves, you that know, to so Gainesville, Florida to <laughs> kick it with frat with no place to stay, very little money. <laughs> and and, oh and I God. think some of that is the reason why, because I look at my daughter as a freer version of myself. Well, I was like, right. well, hell, if I was doing that. <laughs> what is she going to do? <laughs> and my problem is I was so sneaky because, mm -hmm. you know, again, I'm hiding everything. And so I was sneaking when I was living at home. Mm -hmm. And so I have to remember that my daughters aren't necessarily deceptive the way I was because it's like, I know y'all can tell me anything right. and be anywhere because I know I was. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Oh, so that cheers. trust, you know, trusting mm -hmm. them, learning to mind my own business, you know, because the way we were raised is you don't have business. Exactly. If you live in my house you know, everything is supposed to be, you know, but, but that's not, you know, that's not how it works. Um, and so what I have, what I've found, and I'm so thankful for my daughters because they are my greatest teachers that, um, a, you know, a lesson that I wish my mother had learned, I'm trying to now learn myself. So when I went on hiatus from her and I, I had been very clear, I did not want to talk to her or see her, but she went behind my back contacted my then husband because we were still together at that point mm -hmm. and was like I haven't spent a birthday with Disha you know since she went to college and at this point I'm in my you know I'm early 30s and she's like so I was thinking that I would come to Pittsburgh and be at her favorite restaurant and you bring her there and I will surprise her now this is after I told this woman I didn't want to see her <laughs> and then she puts him in this awkward position and he came to me he was like your mom asked me to do this and I don't want to do it because I didn't. I was like, no, you know, she should not have put you in that position. And I'm sorry, but he gave her some advice that I now live by. He said to her, think of it as, you know, this is back when we used to take a, a bath and hold, have soap in our hand, not like body wash, right? But right, right. like a bar of soap. He was like, think about it. When you're wetting a, a bar of soap, if you're holding it, if you squeeze too tight, it's going to slip out of your hand. So you have to learn to not hold on too tight. I thought that was beautiful. Come on, ex-husband with the word. Okay. <laughs> and so damn, if now I'm like in the same situation, like the, the, the crazier the world gets, the more freedom they have, the older they get, the bigger the decisions they have to make, the more I want to squeeze 
-hmm. but I can't because I don't want to lose them. You know, I don't want to lose them. I don't want them to slip away. So I have to loosen my grip. And that's a daily prayerful battle. Yes. yes. <laughs> Sometimes <That's> hourly. <laughs> Sometimes. That part. I mean, I'm thinking now, like the one of the things my, my daughter has like her little diary with the little key, you know, mm -hmm. on it and everything. And see, in my house, like you said, in my mama's house, there was nothing. I could I could walk in in my room and see my mama reading read read, read it through. What's this mean? Who's so and so? Oh, so you kissing now? You know, <laughs> all of that, right? Oh, I'm trying to like, okay, you know, okay, I don't want to see your mm -hmm. diary. That's your thoughts. You can say whatever you want. Um, but what's interesting about that is now she wants to show it to me. So I think sometimes when yep. we step back, mm -hmm. you know, is almost like, you know, they are more inclined because they have yes. the freedom. It's the agency piece, right? I can yes. decide, mommy, could you read this part of my diary and help me with this? Mm -hmm. Or I can decide not to. So the freedom to make the choice almost brings them closer to us, but that's not all the time. Right. <laughs> so, not all the time. And then sometimes they'll share something with you and you are like, that is the most boneheaded thing I have ever heard in my life but you can't say that can't say it Ooh. you're just like okay girl <laughs> let me know how it works out I'm <laughs> you I mean you know I, I I'm thinking you might want to do this other thing mm -hmm. but you know that's my perspective on it but you know I realize this is your choice to make oh I'm so tired of saying that but mm. <laughs> I'm not looking forward to those young adult teenage years and they are well, upon me. Look at we survived. We survived those road trips and all kinds of foolery true. and madness. So very true. Hope. <laughs> I could talk to Disha all day long, y'all. I really, really could, but I can't because she busy busy. So <laughs> um I am going to close out our conversation here. I mean if you haven't heard of the Secret Lives of Church ladies or Disha, you might just be living under a rock. I'm just saying that's just me. Um, but I would love for you to share with our listeners um, just how they can find you and your work and all that good stuff. And if you have something that's coming up, you know, you'd like to share with us, that would be great. Sure. So um, I am basically my name everywhere, DishaFilia.com and also DishaFilia on Twitter and Instagram, I have abandoned Facebook. I'm sorry, but I just, it's a lot. Um, and, you know, and I'm working, there's some, in, since my book came, has come out, um, I've published some short stories online. Um, I probably should update my website with those stories. Um, and then I have some work coming out in some anthologies. I have short fiction and um, personal essays coming out in several anthologies this year as well as next year. And um, the um, non-English versions of Church Ladies are starting to come out. So um, I think today is my French publication day. Hey! I gotta check yeah. that. Um, and then um, it's in English, but the UK version in English is coming out May 5th. And so the book is kind of getting like a new life because it gets new covers um, and um, a whole different round of promotion and in the UK at Waterstones, which is the UK's largest bookseller, there's a special edition of Church Ladies that has a 10th story in it. 
so what? the collection uh, the first original collection has nine stories so the waterstones exclusive has a 10th story okay i'm gonna i have to endure that 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 what four week shipping so <laughs> I can, just so i can get that version oh that's awesome yeah so i'm excited uh, about that awesome awesome well thank you so much for visiting heart talk with tracy michelle i appreciate you um and i just likewise i can't wait to see what happens (laughs) you know because you're it's just onward upward from here as always guys thank you so much for tuning in to heart talk with tracy michelle i am so grateful to you please make sure you share this subscribe post your reviews all of that is very helpful again thank you so much for tuning in and as always be well and if you can't be well just be Open your heart, share what you feel, no matter the subject, you can always be real, heart talk with Tracy Michelle, heart talk with Tracy Michelle, heart talk with Tracy Michelle, heart talk with Tracy.